Hello and welcome to another episode of She Talks Too Much About Books and on this episode I'm going to be talking about Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. So as you probably already know, Ernest Hemingway is known for his simple and easy to understand language that he uses when writing stories and he is one of the precursors of English literature, sorry, American literature, especially when it comes to writing stories. I'm talking like a robot right now. And He's also known for his many descriptions throughout the books and stories that he writes. I personally separate descriptions into two different segments, um, groups, sorry, yeah, groups makes more sense. So the first group is the visual description and the second one is the you are actually here description. The visual descriptions include only the looks of the object or the setting or whatever, while the you are here description actually makes you feel like you're there and they serve different purposes actually. The first one intends to describe you the object or the setting or whatever and just introduce you to there and tell you what it is like over there while the second one intends to make you feel like you're there obviously the names are just names that i just assigned them not the official names i don't even think there's a grouping like this officially but i just like grouping and categorizing things to understand them more easily Ernest Hemingway uses the second group, and I like the second group more. feels like the objects that are in the story could be reached, you could touch them. It feels very special. (laughs) So I like the descriptions used, even though some people would find it boring that the descriptions are so frequent and so long from time to time. Some would think they're unnecessarily too much, but they really make you feel like you're there, so I definitely don't think the descriptions are unnecessarily too much, especially in Hemingway books. After just talking about how nice the descriptions were, now let me talk about the foreword, because the foreword will be kind of related to what I'm about to talk about in the next two minutes, I believe. I hope I don't keep this too long. The foreword mainly focuses on how the book can give away a lot about how Ernest Hemingway feels about masculine. I'm saying about too much, but about masculinity. And yes, that's correct. Ernest Hemingway really reflects how he feels about masculinity and femininity throughout the story by certain sentences and paragraphs and characters that he writes. For example, now I'm starting to talk about the symbols used. (laughs) Maybe I should just first summarize the book for you. Yeah, most probably. It would be more rational that way. There is nothing much to summarize, actually, because the book doesn't revolve around a plot. It revolves around the character's feelings and thoughts. But there are certain events that happen, and there is one situation, of course. The situation is that there's an old man who can't catch fish. He's a fisherman, and he lives in a by-the-shore town, so everyone has the same source of income, which is fishing. But all the young fishermen are catching nice fish, big fish, quantitatively very big. And sometimes the fish themselves are big, too, but (laughs) very many very much, very big fish, while he can't fish any fish. So the old man has a streak of not catching fish, actually, and sometimes when the streak is broken, he catches a lot of fish suddenly. But most of the time, he can't, and he's deprived. He's very poor, he has a very inconsistent source of income, yet he still loves the sea. One event that really affected me is... I really want to talk about this because even though it's not part of the summary, I, I, I'm i just so striked by how in the beginning the man is so desperate to catch a fish. By the end, almost by the end, a very big fish just comes on board and it's on his 
boat but is struggling he didn't intentionally catch that much of a big fish because he knew that he couldn't handle that kind of a big fish he needs more of a strength for that even though he's a very strengthful very strengthful strong hefty man he can't probably handle a big fish like that so he never wanted to catch that fish but the fish just crumbled on his boat and is struggling right now he has to pull it and kill it before it struggles more and goes through more pain and while killing such a big fish that could have been a very nice source of income for him that could have provided for him a lot he's in terrible terrible emotional <laughs> i was going to say damage he's in terrible terrible emotional uh burden basically and in the end he manages to kill the fish but his hands are bruised and there's blood everywhere from the fish and from him because his hands are oh my god oh see that was not visual description that was obviously your their description and it was horrible <laughs> anyways yes that was an event that really struck me from the book and that was one of the very few events honestly there aren't many characters in the first 30 pages we are introduced to this child and the child is the only person that we genuinely see dialogue with. The other person who is involved in the dialogue is obviously the old man. The old man and the child have this wholesome relationship. We're also introduced to that wholesome relationship in the beginning of the first 30 pages. And yes, that's pretty much it. We've finally reached my favorite part. This is the part where I was talking about when I was saying that I might need the help of the foreword for. I've mentioned how the foreword is mainly talking about how we can see reflections of Ernest Hemingway's perception of masculinity in the book, and yes. Now I'm going to talk about that. There is a metaphor. The old man refers to the sea as female and the moon as male. And this creates an anecdote, but we're going to talk about it as well in a few seconds. <laughs> no seconds, probably it will take a few minutes, but the fact that the old man addresses the sea as female tells a lot. How does he assign genders to objects? Well, the town's spoken language is Spanish, as far as I remember, so they have to assign genders while speaking. The old man addresses the sea with female pronouns, while the other fishermen, some of the other fishermen, address it as male. The pronouns that they assign to the sea actually tell a lot about their expectations and what they receive from the sea because all of these men have the same source of income and it's only one source of income. They can't possibly have another source of income in their case, in their condition. It's the sea. It's the fish. The men who refer to the sea as female are more likely to be perceiving the sea as their only source of income that they're dependent on and they probably find a comfort in this dependency because the old man describes the sea as how most classic pieces would describe the nature mother nature you know it provides it gives us hope it carries life it is soulful it has clemency the old man describes the sea like this and nature is described like this in many classic pieces Meanwhile, some of the fishermen perceive the sea as a male, which means they kind of see the sea as their see the sea <laughs> as their competition. They don't see it as something with the clemency and the motherhood and the providing of life. Instead, the sea is 
dangerous for them because they're so dependent on it. And that's very funny, actually, because both of them are dependent and both of them acknowledge that they're dependent on the sea for their income. But one of them finds comfort in this while the other one is terrified of the fact that they're so dependent on something. One of them views this dependence as trust, while the other one views it as danger and risk. They only have one source of income, and that's the sea, which makes them see the sea as a competition. But the men who refer to the sea as female don't see it as a competition, instead they see it as a mother. Yeah, I talked about this. <laughs> I'm repeating myself at this point. Yes, let's talk about the next thing then. The next thing I want to talk about is how the old man refers to the moon as a male. From the old man's perspective, moon kind of controls the movements of the sea, which is factually correct actually, but I believe the main purpose was not to state how the moon controls the movements of the sea, instead it was how the moon and the sea have a lover's relationship. This is a very common anecdote in literature. I should give an example from Turkish literature because I have more knowledge on that field than any other. So. <laughs> In Turkish literature, the most famous anecdote of this love between two non-human things is the love between a nightingale and a rose. The nightingale is referred to as the male and the rose is the female in the condition. They're in love, basically. The nightingale tries not to hurt the rose because it's so fragile and it protects it. I believe Ernest Hemingway created this kind of an anecdote between the moon and the sea as well. The sea lets the moon drop its reflection on it and the moon protects the sea, sort of. Controls its movements to protect it. And it charms the sea and the sea charms the moon and they have a lover's relationship. One other thing that I'd like to mention despite not having much to talk about is how the old man groups the fish. What I mean by this is that the other fishermen in the town don't really group the fish. For example, if they catch a fish, it's a fish. But for the old man, if he catches a tuna, that is not a fish, that is a tuna. If he catches a bigger tuna, that's not just a bigger fish, that's a white tuna, which happens to be an adult white tuna. He actually values the fish, a part of being a part of his income, the only part of his income, actually. He values the fish for existing. He values the fish because they are actually alive creatures who have a life, you know. I think that's kind of similar to the way that he values the child, how they have a wholesome relationship, because the other people just see the child as another way of supporting their income, while the men sees the child as an actual human being. Yeah, now that I've talked about this, the next thing that I'd like to talk about. So there's the sun and the dark. The dark only symbolizes disappointment, but the sun symbolizes many different things for the men. The sun, for example, in the evening is just the last hope, so it's kind of a bit of nervousness and hope at the same time, and it burns his eyes. But the morning sun, the dawn sun, is very precious to him because it's his most hopeful moment. It's just the moment that the dark is shattered, and it's very precious to him because that's the first hope of catching fish for the day, for the old men. Now that I've talked about this as well, by the way, this was a very spontaneous thing that just came to my mind. I'm probably going to not uh, align these again because that will be too much labor, but <laughs> I'm sorry. But it doesn't really look very irrelevant over there, so it's okay. I have three more topics to talk about. These are just very brief, short topics, so that means that this episode is also going to be a pretty short episode. Yeah, let me just talk about those three last things. 
One of them is Dimaggio. Dimaggio is a baseball player who came to their town. And by the way, both the kid and the old man are huge baseball fans. They discuss who's going to win the next game and etc. So, Dimaggio is a famous baseball player and he once came to the town. The old man and the child both wanted to ask him if he would like to go fishing with them, but they were too shy to do so, so they didn't. It was kind of sad because the child and the man were both mourning how it would have been such a cool memory if they had actually asked him to go fishing with them. This is a warning sign for you, by the way. If you have anything that you're too shy to do, I'd recommend that you do that. Next, I'd like to talk about the old man's behavior towards the big fish. I have already talked about this, but I'm going to sum up everything that I've said so far and I'm going to make a connection between how he names the fish and how he doesn't want to kill the fish. That is very big that he, you know, wouldn't be able to handle. He believed that he wouldn't be able to handle. In the beginning of the story, I'm repeating this once again, in the beginning of the story, the man is very, very desperate to catch one single fish because he can't catch any fish, and he's very deprived because of that. And while we're reaching the end, he accidentally kills a fish. A fish just drags itself in the boat, and it suffers a lot, so the old man has to kill it reluctantly. And it it, it it just requires a lot of strength to do that because it's a very big fish that he is definitely going to have trouble lifting and stuff when he's trying to kill it, but he does in the end. The way he is just so, so sad that a very big fish jumped on his boat relieves a lot about how he definitely values the fish's life. He's so sad that he's going to kill this animal. He's so sad that this animal is suffering so much. He's so sad that he indirectly caused this kind of a thing even though he has no fault in it he gets very severely bruised in the end i'm using very too much i'm using many words too much uh yes and the last thing is how they have a game with the child oh actually i just it just came to my mind i have one more thing to say yeah let me just talk about this first <laughs> i i just have such a messy mind anyways yes there's the man and there's the child, and they have a wholesome relationship, as I've mentioned before. And they have a game. The man is very deprived, as I've mentioned. <laughs> mention, mention, mention. Uh, yes. While the child is making his exit from the house the first time he came in it, by the way, when I say house, it sounds like a house, but it's actually a cottage. That is not even big enough to be called a cottage. While the child is exiting the cottage, he asks if he would like any rice. The old man asks the child if he would like any rice. The child knows that there isn't rice, but plays along and says, no, I'm very full right now. And then the child asks the old man if he can have some fishing tool. I don't remember the name of the fishing tool right now. Let's just call that a fishing tool. Can I have the fishing tool, the child says. And the old man says, of course you can. And the child says, okay, I took it, thank you. But there's no fishing tool, actually, because the old man had to sell his fishing tool since he needed to make money in order to survive. They just have this game that they play. The old man kind of finds comfort in this. It's like a consultant for the old man. And the child doesn't ever mind playing along with that. It's kind of an escape for the old man. The last thing I want to mention is how the man talks to himself. I actually have this habit as well. Which is one of the reasons I decided to start a podcast, you know. <laughs> Maybe some people will be interested in my talking to myself session. But the thing is, it's nothing like talking to yourself. Uh, there's a lot of re-recording <laughs> to be done, which is annoying. When I make a dictation mistake or something while talking to myself, I don't 
re-record the conversation to fix it. But yeah, the old man talks to himself. This is kind of his way of motivating himself. The old man has numerous ways of motivating himself, like the child and the game he created with the child is one of these, and talking to himself is the other one. He doesn't feel lonely that way. You know, he had a wife, as far as I remember, if I'm not confusing it with another story, um, but she died. And he's a lonely man right now, so his voice accompanying him is actually a very big warmth for him. It's a nice, cozy feeling for him to talk to himself. And he kind of finds strength in talking to himself and having someone accompanying him no matter what, because you're stuck with yourself forever, whether you like it or not, especially when you're alone. He turns this to an advantage and makes himself his friend. Yeah, thank you for listening. Have an amazing day. What else is there to say? <laughs> yeah, maybe evening, maybe night, I don't know. Anyways, thank you for listening. Have an amazing day, night, evening, noon, whatever. I think I don't have anything left to say. Again, um, I'm thinking. I don't think I have anything left to say, honestly. Yes, thank you for listening. Come back next week, because I've already planned everything for next week, because it's a book that I'm genuinely excited about. Thank you so much for listening, again. Goodbye.